0: We're wrapping up today in our series, A Table for Two, and we, we've, if you've been here, you know, but we've just kind of wrapped this whole thing around Psalm chapter 23. And in Psalm 23 is the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the psalmist David, the shepherd, the king is writing, and he's given us these proclamations that the Lord is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he gives us all of these things that the Lord does for us as our shepherd. And one of the things that we focused in on was in verse 5 of Psalm chapter 23. And in verse 5, he says this, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That the Lord, the shepherd, has prepared this table for, for you and I to sit and dine and have fellowship with him. It's a table for two. And what we have seen over the last couple of weeks has been that this table for two can quickly become a crowded table because what happens is the enemy wants to slide his chair up to the table and begin to preach lies to us. Begin saying things like, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, everybody's against you, it's you against everyone. And he will take these lies and these lies will penetrate into our minds. And if we don't have toll booths in our heads to where we stop and capture the thoughts and make them obedient to Christ, as Paul says. What will happen is this table experience will go from us hearing the things that God wants to say to us to giving all of our attention to the enemy, the crowded one who has joined the table and didn't even have a reservation, nor was he invited. And what we see happen is that when the enemy begins to speak, we could so quickly forget that the scriptures tell us that he is the father of lies, that he's a deceiver, that his plans for us are to steal, kill, and destroy. He, he doesn't want anything good from us. He, he will convince us that that's the right thing, and, and he will mislead us, and then the moment that we bite into that fruit, he will quickly turn the blame on us, and he shifts the blame and begins to attack us mentally and spiritually and emotionally. He'll come after us. It, it is so important that we protect the things that come into our minds and that we take every thought captured and that we make those thoughts once they're captured. Did this come from God? And what does his word say about it? And that's how we filter what comes in and out of our minds. And if we're in the word of God and we're having this dining experience at the table, this table for two between us and the shepherd, then the things that he is saying we should be taking in because he speaks truth. He speaks truth, he speaks life in to us. So he says that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And today we're gonna focus in a little bit on this verse because it it begs the question, why would the Lord put a table in the middle of all of my enemies? Because do you think you would agree with me it would be a lot easier to have a window seat watching my enemies be destroyed. We've prayed prayers like that, haven't we? we we've prayed Numbers chapter 11 where Moses is like, hey, you kill them or kill me. One of us has got to go. That's a great pastor prayer, right? <laughs> it's prayers you, you hope your pastor never prays over you. All right, God, they got to go or I got to go. One of us has got to go. Why is this table... In the middle of our enemies. This table for two. Before we answer that question I want us to to dig in a little bit deeper to understand a few things and we're going to come back to that and answer that at the end of today and I think what you're going to find is some relief that as though it seems like it's a very awkward place to be sitting in the middle of our enemies we'd rather be taken away from them but we've been called to be in the world not of it so God puts us in the middle. Now, King David, he's a king. He's a shepherd. He's a failure. He's successor. He's done a lot of things with his life. This the same one, the same David that wrote Psalm 23 also writes Psalm chapter 34. And I want you to hear these words of King David. And he, and he starts it like this in Psalm 34:1. He says that I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, this, he's commanding, telling you like, this is what I'm going to do. Now, he's already made his stake in Psalm chapter 23 of telling us that, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in Psalm 34, he's, he's bringing kind of the same thought process of saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. And then he goes, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. If I, see, if I say anything, may it be praiseworthy. Now, and I want you to catch that. But because he's saying here that his, his praise will forever Be on my lips. I will bless the Lord. It is really, really easy to bless the Lord when life is going well, doesn't it? I mean, everything's going really good. Gas prices are down. Your bank account looks good. You and your spouse are getting along. You're loving your kids. They're doing great. Everything they do, they're getting ribbons for everything. Your job is great. People are offering you promotions. And God's been so good that he's even given you favor that when you go to the grocery store, you always find a parking space up front. Life is good. It's easy to bless God in that, isn't it? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being so good. But what about when it's not so good? When life falls apart, you get the phone call, the text, the email, the disappointing news, the disappointing diagnosis, whatever it may be, what is our posture and attitude when that happens? Are we able to say, I bless the Lord? I'm going to bless him in the good, and I'm going to bless him just as much and worship him just as much when it's bad. And and this is what David is saying, that I will bless the Lord at all times. It doesn't matter if it's good or if it's bad. It doesn't matter if I'm standing before Goliath without armor on and just a couple of stones and a slingshot, and it doesn't matter if I'm just sitting out in the field trying to find my sheep because one of them got away my my situation of praise doesn't change My, my worship is not dictated by my circumstance and a lot of times we allow circumstances to shape our worship and our theology when our theology and our worship should be shaping our circumstances right but when it doesn't go good are we saying that I will bless the Lord in this? It doesn't mean that we're oblivious that things aren't going well. But what it means is I'm acknowledging that it doesn't matter what it looks like. I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. My circumstances do not dictate my relationship with the shepherd. There are days when the sheep get out and the weather gets bad. Or the sheep get out and there's not enough grass around. Or there's not enough water to get to. But the shepherd is always getting them to the next place to give them just enough to sustain life for the next moment. There's a trust between the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And David is saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. Everything that I say, I pray that it is praiseworthy that has come out of my mouth towards the thing that I speak to. And this is... This is where his heart is. See, see, this table that the Lord has prepared is where we can praise the Lord continually. It's a continual praise that we can have for him. And we can worship him without any kind of restraint. Nothing's going to hold back our praise. Sometimes it's best for us to look at the issues that we're facing and just worship our way through it. Life has you down. You feel like you've been kicked in the gut. You've taken all the wind out of your sail. Sometimes it's just good to get on your hands and your knees and begin worshiping the Father and recognize who He is and letting your your problems know who your Father is. The shepherd has not forgotten you. Remember, he will leave the 99 to find the one. He's he's a good shepherd. David goes on to say that I will, and, and remember, he's saying I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will Always be on my lips But he also says this I will boast in the Lord So I will bless him And I will boast in the Lord Let the afflicted hear And and rejoice This whole dining experience Is about The shepherd It's not about what we get Out of the meal It is about Us recognizing The shepherd. We always talk about we want God to bless us. And when we use that term blessing, it's been hijacked for the things that I want God to bless me. And when we say that, our minds typically go to material possessions or to finances. But here's what he's saying is that when I I bless the Lord, the blessing is not in what I get from the dining experience. The blessing is the presence of the Father at the table with me. Anything else that we get is bonus points. But if the Lord were to take everything that we have away from us today, his presence is the blessing. And that's why Moses would say things like, I don't want to go where his presence is not. If his presence stays, I stay. If his presence goes, I go. Because it wasn't about the things. He says, I will make my boast in the Lord. I will make my boast in the Lord. This is all about a life, and this is all about relationship. And David is saying, as his sheep and my shepherd is sitting at this table dining with the shepherd, with my father, with the king, I can't help but talk about it. I can't help but share what is happening at this table with people. Because there's an experience that when we spend time with God of the things that He speaks over us, the things that He reveals to us through His Spirit, we cannot walk away from an experience and an encounter with the Father and look the same as we did when we came in. You can't. Because everything changes. And he says, so my soul will boast in the Lord. And David confirms this when he says that my soul is boasting right now in the Lord. But I want you to notice the next line of that verse. Verse. So let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Now whose table is this? This isn't a table for all the afflicted people around us. This is the table for you and the king. You ever go to a restaurant and they've seated you and you sit down in your seat and you realize that the table next to you is really, really close? You ever have one of those experiences? This past week I went out to lunch with a friend and we're sitting, they set us at this table and I was like, there's about six inches between me and the person beside me. if I needed something off their plate, I could just reach over, grab some fries, I could grab, you know, some salt and pepper, no big deal. But the whole time that I'm talking, trying to have like a private personal conversation, I've got people six inches away kind of leaning in, you know, like, oh wait, time out. What'd they say? I might know that person. Y'all know how it is in Monk's Corner. Somebody's name's popped up. It's like, well, radar is going off, and everybody wants to know what's happening and we, we sit at these tables and the Lord is speaking to us and when I'm boasting in him what happens is that the afflicted begin to hear and rejoice i would say it this way that, that God is saying that I put the table close enough to the fray so that the people in the fray can hear what's going on at the table yeah they may be your enemies they may be out to get you but they're going to try to figure out why you're not responding in the way that they think you should respond What's different and they're going to be walking around this table And they're going to be hearing this conversation between you and god. They're going to be seeing it They're going to be experiencing it because even in the midst of traumas and the midst of pain. I will boast in the lord Bless my soul bless bless the lord at all times David was really good at writing this When he would even command himself bless the lord. O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name Because sometimes we have to be reminded, right? We gotta remind ourselves. And so this this table being on the fray, people can lean in, people can, can hear. Conversations at this table can be overheard because people realize again, you don't respond the way that the world would respond. We talk different. As followers of Jesus, we talk different, we act different. We interact differently. We don't see situations the same, the way that other people, because we have completely different perspectives. And so what God says is, is our, at our table, he wants our time at the table to show others his abundance. He wants it to show people his love. He wants it to show his purpose. See, because what happens at that table may be private, but what happens in the private always overflows into the public. And so your, your prayer life, whether it's a lack of a prayer life or it's a good prayer life, that will overflow out into the public. Your time with Jesus or no time with Jesus, that, whatever happens in that moment, will overflow into the public. So whatever is private will eventually come to the public. So I think oftentimes that people can lean in on these conversations and see this relationship between you and your father. He says he wants someone who doesn't Know Jesus to be able to hear about Jesus, to listen to what's going on in these interactions. Because the gospel and faith and salvation come by hearing of the gospel, by us talking. Not just by our actions of what we live, but by our talking. Psalm 34 in in verse 3, he continues this. He says, bless. He says, boast. Now he says, glorify the Lord with me. It's a partnership. Listen, I, you got to be a part of what I'm doing. Come glorify Him with me. I want you to experience the blessing that I have experienced from His presence. So come glorify the Lord with me. Let us. This is a unity. Let us exalt His name together. And it's one when one person's praising, but what happens when it catches on to other people are worshiping? It's contagious because I want you to experience the Lord the way that I have. I want you to have this same experience. The Lord has also prepared you a table as he has prepared me a table. And and let us rejoice in the table. And let us come together. Let us glorify him. Let us exalt his name. Let's make sure that people understand that he has the name that is above every name. It's a a partnership. And he says this in verse 4, that I sought the Lord. Because, see, he's at the table and he's seeking out the Lord. Asking questions. It's okay to ask questions. Questions. But I think we live in such a a time in Christianity where we feel that any question that we want to ask is disrespectful towards God. But how do we grow and learn? As kids, kids ask a thousand questions a minute. They have a question for every five questions. They're not doing that to get on our nerves. They're doing that because that's the way they learn. But for some reason, when we become adults, we just stop doing that. We don't question anything anymore. If you want growth in your spiritual life, ask God the questions. And he says, I sought the Lord. And here's the thing when we answer questions, because David, he, he gets us to, He answered me. Because what kind of shepherd would he be if it was just a one-way communication? See, our shepherd interacts with his sheep. And he says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. And listen, because David has a testimony. He delivered me from all of my fears, all of them, and I can't help but think back to Psalm 23 when he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I serve a shepherd who is personal. I serve a shepherd who cares. I know a shepherd who provides for me in ways that I could never thought that provi- would provide for me. He has his plans for me. He, he's a shepherd, and when I have questions, he doesn't shame me, he fulfills me, he gives me what I need to be sustained. And, and I can stand here and say that I will blo- boast and I will bless and I want you to glorify with me, because he has delivered me because his rod and his staff have brought me comfort. The staff's to lead the rod to protect. And says, so David, what we're seeing is his, his relationship with the shepherd is being shaped by this table. It's not just about showing up to a Sunday service and singing your favorite karaoke songs. It is about communing with the Father in the private and bringing it here to the public. I used to look at people and go, I don't, I don't know how they raise their hands. I don't, I don't know how they sing. I don't know how, they, they're, how they're worshiping like that. I don't, that's not me. You know what I realized? That th- their, their worship started before they ever got into this room. Because they were worshiping Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And everything that happened in here was just an overflow of what he had been doing in their week. So I had to realize that I needed to start having some communion with God. Because when I realize what he's done, I can't help but boast about Him. I can't help but talk about it. I know where I was. I know where I was before Jesus. And I understand that if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm not talking about status or, or money or any of those things. What I'm talking about is I would be lost. And I would much rather be found and have nothing than be lost and have everything. Because I have found my everything at the table with the shepherd. Because he is enough. And he says to glorify this with me. In the midst of conflict and your worries and your fears, there's an option. Just cry out and seek me. And if you seek me, the Bible says, you will find me. He's not hard to see. He says in verse five, and this is a powerful verse, those who look to him, when you're locking eyes with the king, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. See, the one thing the enemy wants to do, and the reason we don't want to confess sin or ask for forgiveness from God is because the enemy tags shame onto that, is condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts, the enemy condemns. And with condemnation, comes shame, with conviction comes liberty. And, and he says, those who look to him, if, I, if I'm sitting at this table that the Lord has prepared and I have locked eyes with the king, I am a reflection of my father. I am a reflection. This is why Paul would say things in the New Testament, like follow me as I follow Christ. I'm just trying to reflect him. I'm just trying to do the best that I can to look like Jesus. And I think you would agree that there are often days that we look more like people that need Jesus than we look like people who have Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? That's me. Put that on my tombstone. Dude looked a lot more like somebody that needed Jesus than someone actually had him. That would be weird walking to the cemetery and seeing that, wouldn't it? But he, he says, those who look to him, those who look to the good shepherd, they will radiate. They'll radiate. Because they will reflect... God, and He says that if if we have if we have this relationship with Him, and and we've recognized that He's a Shepherd, and we've recognized within the Shepherd that He has the name that is above every name. So why are we chasing these opportunities to try to have the biggest name if God's already got it? See, I, God's not trying to reflect me. I am reflecting the Father. The way that I react to things, the way that I respond to things. The way that I share and love people and love him it is a reflection of my relationship with the Father. So He says, look to him, and there's people that look to him are radiant, and their faces are never, ever covered in shame. The only way that we can be radiant is by looking at our shepherd. If we're not looking at him, we're not reflecting him, we're reflecting the world. And I can just tell you, our community needs less of a reflection of the world and a lot more of the reflection of who Jesus is. Not our man-made definition or our Western explanation of who Jesus is. They need a biblical model of what Jesus looks like. And this means not just talking about it. This means moving into action and living out the values that Jesus has commanded us to live. For time's sake, I want to move to verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses. But you're sitting at the table and he says, listen, you're here, taste and see. That the Lord is good. What's he saying? I want you to learn by experience. You don't have to take my word for it. Yeah, I'm blessing. Yes, I'm glorifying. Yes, I'm asking you to come in and and be a part of this together. But listen, you got to taste it to understand how good this is. You got to experience this dining experience between you and the king to understand how good it is. do You understand that we don't walk away from the table bragging about our experience. We walk away in humility, understanding that I should not have been in that room, at that table. You ever been there, you've been invited somewhere and realized I don't think I'm supposed to be here? I was on a Zoom call back in December. I got a link, got sent to me, I want you to be in this meeting, and I got in this meeting and I looked around the room and I saw somebody that I've always admired who's a writer and I thought, I think somebody sent me the wrong link I'm not supposed to be here we oftentimes can sit at the table with the father and think that that's the shame that comes on by the way that I'm not supposed to be here with him but he's prepared a table and just put your name right there that's a good thing for you to write down he's prepared a table for and write your name right there you have an RSP you are on the list and here's the good thing the bill has been paid it has been paid. That we can approach that table with confidence of understanding that our God loves us, cares for us, has paid a major price for us to be there. And I want other people to do it, but you've got to taste and see. And we, we are supposed to be producing these fruits of the Spirit. But our love and our joy and our peace, and those things are all reflections of Christ. They're attributes of Christ. And sometimes before people dine at the table and taste what God has for them, they're going to taste a piece of your fruit. How does your fruit taste? How are you responding to things? How are you loving and caring for people? And so he says, listen, taste and see. So don't just come to this table and hear me. Come and experience it. Don't just come and be a consumer. But come and experience it. And then look what happens in verse 8 in the second part. So he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he says this, and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Because if you walk away from that and taste it, be like, yeah, not very good. You haven't fully experienced it. Because when you do, you will receive blessing by taking refuge in his presence. Again, the presence is the blessing. This is, I, I'm, I'm just thinking through how we, we sit and how we dine together. Isn't it always feel like it's a rush to get in to the table to eat and to get out as fast as possible because we got our agendas somebody's got to go do homework somebody's got to go do this or you know we got the next meeting we got the next game we got the next and, and we we don't take time around the table just to linger and we use that term oftentimes that people are creepy when we say linger but we said in week one that sometimes we'll treat this dining table like a drive thru God, thank you for preparing this. I appreciate it. I'm going to munch on this. I'll see you later. But what he's asked us to do is come to the table and just linger. Take your time. Take your time. Because blessed is the one who just lingers at the table and takes refuge in him, who just sits there. So I want to go back to this question. Why is the table in the middle of our enemies? Here's the first thing. So that we can know that God is enough. It's personal. Because I got my enemies around me. I got them making threats. I got them talking about me. I've got things being written. I've got my anxiety is at all time high. My fear levels. My worry levels. But hey, when I'm dining with the King and I've locked eyes with him, guess what? There's a peace that comes over me. It's I I don't understand why the attacks are coming. But he's given me a peace that surpasses that understanding. I don't have to know that to have peace. Isn't that good news? You don't have to know why things happen to have peace. Jesus gives peace even in the middle of uncertainty. Because there's only one thing that is certain in uncertainty, and that is Jesus is still king. So this table is in the middle so that we can know that God is enough. Because when we go through difficulties, that's when we grow. Yeah, we can grow into high spots. But you think back on your life, the moment that you gave your life to Christ, what were you going through? Your biggest spiritual growth moments in your life, what happened? I'm going to venture out to say there was a difficulty that you were rock bottom and Jesus pulled you out. Because it's in our difficulties that we learn to grow. But we will often hit some type of um, dilemma in our life that we feel like it pushes back on us and we want to retreat. But God wants us to push through. Because though I walk through the valley, I don't have to fear what's going to happen. His rod and staff comfort me. God has good intentions. Because if I can walk through that with the shepherd, there's a trust between me and the shepherd. And I can trust him. So at the table, in his, in his presence, is the safest place that we can be. Even if it is surrounded by our enemies. Because we realized that God is enough. It doesn't, I don't need all this. I don't need all this drama. I'm, he's enough. And he's just asked me to taste and see that he's good and eat and dine with him. He will handle all of this stuff because, remember, he's not, he hasn't just sat down at the table and put down his rod and his staff. They're still, he's still holding those things. Right? Now, sometimes our prayer is, God, I need you to take that rod and just start swinging it around and knocking some of my enemies and you naming them one by one. But the table's in the middle so that we can know that God is enough. It's also in the middle so our enemies can see that God is enough. I'm gonna gonna tell you something that you you probably know but you probably don't want to admit because I had a hard time admitting it. But God loves my enemies too. You think about the Last Supper. Jesus knew going into that dinner that Judas was gonna deny him that Judas was gonna betray him. But there was a seat for Judas at the table because Judas had to eat too. You think about it. Jesus could have excluded Judas from the table based off of what was about to happen, but he allowed him to be at the table because he knew what was gonna happen In that moment, the things that Christ was gonna say, the words that he was gonna speak, Judas needed to hear those things. Now, did he accept them? No, but he needed to hear those things. The table is in the middle so our enemies can see that God is good enough. God loves our enemies and he wants them to have a witness to who he is. And so when they, they see you at the table and you're not responding in the way they think, you're just reflecting the shepherd. And it raises curiosity. Because when you're dining with the king, the enemy gets caught off guard when, you're, when your eyes stay focused on him. You notice the Bible talks about a lot about where we place our eyes. Lift your eyes, keep your eyes focused, perspective. It's all about where we look. You think about Paul and Silas when they were in prison. They're in a place they didn't want to be. They didn't even do anything wrong besides preach the gospel. They were arrested, they're sitting there and the only thing they knew to do in the middle of their, their pain was to pray and sing. Now, we don't know if Paul and Silas were great singers. They could have been awful. But regardless, the Lord heard their cry, the prisoners heard their cry, the guards heard their cry, and the gates were busted open and they walked free. Now, they were enemies. But in the middle of their situation, they took that moment in that cell to worship the king. And those on the outside saw, and their lives were changed. So the table can be there because God, for us to know that God is enough, it can be there because our enemies can see that he's enough. But here's the hard one. The table is in the middle so that we can let our cup overflow. And here's the thing about the table If the enemies are surrounding me at this table, I'm close enough to reach out to my enemy and serve them. Jesus said, love your enemy. That's hard, isn't it? Like, if we could toss out some scriptures that we didn't like, That would probably be one of them. Matter of fact, it'd probably be the first one. But Jesus wants our cup to overflow because we realize the blessing that we're getting at this table, that we have this bountiful harvest before us. We're close enough to reach our enemies, we don't have to be distanced from them. We can give food away. We can love our enemies, we can bless those who curse us, we can speak well of people, but this can only happen if we're locked eyes with the king. In the middle, because the middle gives us proximity to be radiant to what's surrounding us. The question is, what are we reflecting? What are we reflecting? See, the table is in the middle because it's the best place for the Lord to get glory not on the outskirts but right in the middle and so you think about it that me sitting at this table helps me realize that God is enough for me it shows other people that he's enough for them and it stirs up my soul to go and serve and love my enemy Now, this doesn't mean that you need to show up to your enemy's house today and give him a hug because that ain't going to go well for some of you, right? You'll take that whole laying of hands thing out of context. But what it may mean, and listen, I I had a, a friend of mine, we were talking through some stuff, and I was really ticked at some people, and he said, listen, you need to spend this season praying more for them than for you. I was like, I don't like that. He said, well, hold on, I didn't tell you how to pray yet. I was like, oh, good. What curses can I pray over them? He said, you don't. You pray blessings over them. You pray that they experience God. You pray that they taste and see. Because there's going to be seasons where your enemy is going to get way more prayer than anybody else around you. Because what happens in that moment of our prayer is God begins to shape our hearts around that table. So that everything that he's built up in, is just one big massive overflow out of us. And I can tell you the world needs more of what is overflowing out of Jesus than what is overflowing out of my crooked, deprived heart. So I'm I'm praying this morning that you would accept the invitation to linger. I don't want you to leave the table and I want you to treat it like a drive-through. I want you to linger with the Father and I want you to hear what he has to say. Because when you do, your life changes. That life that he says, I've come to give you, and it will be abundant life, not just living, but you will have abundant life. It is found at the table with the shepherd. And as we close this out, some of you are sitting at the table and you've realized that the enemy's there speaking negatives of even right now as we talk about this when I, the moment that I brought up your enemies and loving your enemies he took advantage of that and he slid that chair right up to the table put his napkin in his lap and he began saying things to you you need to tell him he's got to leave the table He're not invited. God's got another party for him if you'll read the book of Revelations he'll see how that ends he's not going to like it but you need to tell the enemy you got to go but for some of you, you've never walked up to the table. You've never dined with God, you've never communed with God because we complicate it. Let me tell you, when you go to a restaurant and you sit at the table, it's not very complicated. You just have conversation. Like this past week, as Gretchen, who's over our prayer team, met with our students to teach them how to pray. He says, how do you learn how to pray? I asked this question, I took 43 of my eighth grade students this week and I said, how do you know how to pray? Does somebody give you like a guide? to somebody, I said, no, we, we, I guess from watching people. I guess from watching people. I said, that, that's right. And so we, we've been working with our students on how to pray. Right? Because they, they need to know. Because they were complicating prayer because they were trying to read it with words that they didn't even know how to spell. They were trying to say things they didn't know. And so Ms. Gretchen has this incredible little easy, simple, elementary formula that is so impactful. They say, dear, and you write in if you want to call them Father, God, Jesus, Yahweh, Yeshua, you want to go full Hebrew, like whatever you want to call God. And then it says, um, I think, no, it's, it's um, you're, you are, and you write in what you think God is. Somebody wrote cool. I think that's a good answer. But I started going through this with my kids and I started hearing words like, you know what, he's pretty pretty mighty, he's pretty powerful. So yeah, he is. But then we got to the next line, God, please forgive me for. And I thought, this is where we're gonna really find out about these prayers. Because I was expecting, forgive me for my sins. But no, and if you're a teacher here at St. John's, blot this part out. God, please forgive me because I did cheat on that math test. And I shouldn't have. God, please forgive me because when I got out of the car this morning, I said some things to my mom that I should not have said. Here's what we were doing. We were trying to teach them that, it, that talking to God in communion with God is not that difficult. So if you're having a hard time talking to him, just grab your cell phone and pretend like he's on the other line. Because here's the thing. You're not going to say anything to mess it up. He's not going to hold it over you and be like, he talking to you he never lets it go to voicemail he always picks up and he always has a word for you all you gotta do is sit at the table and say father I'm here but I'm praying that today you will dine with him because when you do our church looks different our community looks different the kingdom of God gets ushered in to earth So let me pray for you today. Father, I I thank you for each person that's here. Sometimes we don't take the table seriously that we don't realize how important it is that we spend time with you. That it's easy for us to jump on other things and other priorities, but God, you, there's nothing that takes priority over you. I just pray that your Holy Spirit right now would bring conviction into all of our lives. That we would spend time in your word. We would hear with you. We would commune with you, our Father, because the enemy wants that seat so bad. And if we're not in your word, we don't know if it's true or where it's coming from. But I pray that we will be in your word and we will hear your voice. And today that we would just simply open up a conversation and just be honest with you. You know everything anyway. Just be honest with you. Lord, I pray right now that our church would recognize the blessing of your presence and they would boast in that and only that and I pray these things in the name of Jesus